1 Corinthians chapter 12, John chapter 4, Acts 15, quite a few we're going to be taking tonight. All right, quick poll. You guys ready? How does your family open Christmas presents? Do you open them all on Christmas Eve? Anybody? Nobody opens them all on Christmas. Oh, yeah? Yeah, okay. couple. Do you open just one on Christmas Eve? Let's see your hand. Okay. That's for your kids that are impatient, right? Now, do you open them first thing in the morning or after breakfast, first thing in the morning? Pretty much anybody with kids is going to be first thing in the morning, isn't it? Now, do you open them all at once and the paper flies like confetti or is it like, okay, now it's your turn. You show us your gift. How many people, how many people do it that way? It's your turn. You show us your gift. Okay. How many people do it where it's just a free for all? Yeah. All right. Um, well, tonight, welcome to Christmas in April. We're going to actually, over the next few, few Thursdays, it looks like, we're going to be opening up gifts. Tonight, if you will, get comfortable. You can put your slippers on, grab some hot chocolate. We're going to open up the gifts under the tree, well, the tree of Calvary. Jesus said when he was on his way to the cross, he said, you know what? This is a good thing. I'm leaving, but my father will send you a helper, the Holy Spirit. We've talked about it over the last couple messages. The father knows how to give good gifts to his children. If you ask him, Jesus says, for a piece of bread, he's not going to give you a stone. If you ask him for something good, he's not going to give you a serpent. We don't need to be scared by any means of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Father knows how to give good gifts to his children. And that's the exact context that Jesus was speaking of. He says, if you, if you fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, then why in the world would you be worried about the Holy Spirit? The, the Father knows how to give the Holy Spirit to those who will ask. So all the gifts under the tree, we're going to look at we're going to look at all of them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is not an exhaustive list, but eventually we'll get through the ones at least in this chapter. All the gifts under tonight, well actually we're only going to look at two. <laughs> but all the gifts that we look at would say something like this, to the members of the body of Christ. And they may say to the members of the body of Christ in Calvary Chapel of the Lakes. And it would say, from your heavenly Father, paid for by Jesus, and distributed, we learned that last week, by the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to open them one at a time over the next couple Thursdays at least. It's not an exhaustive list. If you really want to find those that are in the Bible, you might want to look in Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians 4 as well. There's more under the tree, but tonight we're going to focus on those first two that we're going to find in, in verse 8. Now, real quick, some fundamentals in review. Look at verse 7. This will help catch us up to speed tonight. Look at verse 7. It says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. We learned last week, manifestation. What it means is to make visible. To make visible that which is already present, but you can't see it. To manifest means to make something where you can see it. My Bible, right here. Now you can see it. Now you don't. It's still here, right? It's still in the room, but it's not manifest. When I hold it out like this, it is manifest. It says, but the manifestation, the showing of the invisible spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So manifest does not mean to bring into existence or to invite into the room. 
but to make visible that which is not visible. This is really important because if someone, for instance, were to give a word of prophecy tonight, the Holy Spirit would not be more present than he is now. But he would, might be more manifest, more visible. See, we don't seek the gifts to get more of the Spirit. He, he can't be any more here than he is tonight. But he could be, if he chooses to be, more visible. All right. Then it says, verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. The word there is hekastos. The word means each and every. You understand what that means? That means that if you are a Christian, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're a Christian, there's at least one gift, one spiritual gift with your name on it. Now, you may not have opened it. You might be like the kid that you opened it and then now you're playing with the box. It might not even be on this list, but there is a gift for hekastos, for each and every one. But there's a really important distinction that we probably need to make right now. Where your average Christmas gift would be given to you for you to play with or use as you see fit, not so with spiritual gifts. Because look at verse 7 again, the, the end of it. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The word prophet of the, the phrase prophet of all is sumphero. It means to carry with, to carry together, to bring together, to bear together, to collect or contribute in order to help. See, and we, we made this point last week, but I wanted to make sure we said it again. Though one or more of the gifts that we're going to talk about may be given to you, we always need to remember they're not given for you. They are for the profit of all. These gifts are not and they never will be for our personal enjoyment or amusement and especially not for our personal glory. We saw on Sunday, this last Sunday, we skipped ahead, verses 12 through 27, that we are the body of Christ. How many people were able to hear that message? Most of you probably were serving. Um, we are the body of Christ. Like your body, God has put each one of us in the body, and he's given us a specific function. He's given us particular talents. Those are natural things. And supernatural gifts, abilities for the profit of all. For instance, if he gives me the gift of teaching, some of you are thinking, yeah, I'd like that, if you would. If he gives me the gift of teaching, it's not for me, right? It's for the profit of all. If he gives you a word of knowledge... It's not for your personal information or enjoyment. It's for the profit of the body. If he gives a miraculous gift of healing, it's not so that you can open up a multi-million dollar ministry for yourself. It's not for your profit. It's for the profit of the body. Now, let's say you got five sons and daughters. Some of you may... may you got five sons and daughters, and you brought them a set of very expensive tools so that they could build a, a treehouse together. They could build a project. And you told them from the beginning, look, this, the, the understanding is from the very beginning, this is for the profit of all. But one of them, the one who was biggest, who could fight the other ones off maybe, hogged all the tools. 
what would you do as a loving parent? Well, you would either discipline the selfish one or you would take away the gift until they could understand that it is for the profit of all. So it is, I believe, with spiritual gifts. If you are looking for a spiritual gift for your own purposes, amusement, for your own glory, please do the church a favor and don't ask. But if you understand that they are for the profit of all, not for your glory, the Father gives good gifts. Look at verse 8. Here we go. Starting to unwrap them. Verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. The word of wisdom. The word wisdom there is Sophia. We've seen it several times. The Corinthians had a thing for wisdom, but the wisdom they were seeking after was worldly wisdom. Sophia. The word uh, where it says word of knowledge, that word is also very familiar if you've been studying the Bible for any length of time. Gnosis. It means knowledge. Now, Paul here is talking about supernatural gifts, but to understand it fully, let's talk about the natural first. What is knowledge? It's simply information. Facts, figures, data, information is all it is. Wisdom. What is wisdom? It's the practical application of knowledge. It's knowledge in action. It's actually doing something with knowledge. Knowledge. It's simply facts, figures, information. See, we spend the first years of our lives, think about how many years you spent gaining exclusively dedicated to obtaining knowledge in school. Well, some of you maybe more than others. And now we are in the information age. I use this factoid a little bit a little while ago, but this is very interesting. It says knowledge is exploding at such a rate, more than 2,000 pages a minute, that even Einstein couldn't keep up. In fact, if you read 24 hours a day from 21 to 70 years old and retained everything you read, you would be one and a half million years behind when you finished. And you know when that was written? That little factoid? 1979. That was before the personal computer hit big. So I have no idea how much knowledge has exploded. Knowledge is, though, information, but wisdom is the application of that knowledge. What do you practically do with the knowledge you have? Heard a story about an angel appears at a faculty meeting and tells the dean that in return for his unselfish and exemplary behavior, the Lord will reward him with his choice of infinite wealth or infinite wisdom or beauty. Now, without hesitating, the dean selects infinite wisdom. Done, says the angel, and disappears in a cloud of smoke and a bolt of lightning. Now all the heads turn toward the dean, who sits surrounded by a faint halo of light. At length, one of his colleagues whispers, say something. The dean looks at them and says, I should have taken the money. That was his wisdom. Knowledge applied. Knowledge is information. Wisdom is what you do with that information. Now that is knowledge and wisdom in a natural sense. You can obtain knowledge by studying, by learning, by going to school, by paying attention, by coming to church and paying attention. You can obtain natural wisdom by learning from your own mistakes, by learning even better from the mistakes of others. That's how you can obtain natural wisdom. But what we're talking about here tonight is the word of knowledge 
and the word of wisdom. These are supernatural spiritual gifts. You'll notice they're in, in a list with things like miracles. <laughs> These are supernatural things. The gift of the word of knowledge is information that comes from God. It could have only come from God. The word of wisdom is information applied that could only come from God. Wisdom that can only come from God. Let's, let's start with verse, uh, John chapter 4. Come, go with me to John chapter 4, and we'll look at an example. This is what we're going to be doing pretty much the rest of the night now, is looking at examples of words of knowledge and word of wisdom. John chapter 4. You guys have it? John chapter 4, verse 7. Very familiar passage. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus specifically made a trip into Samaria, a place where good Jews wouldn't go, but Jesus was on a mission. And this woman of Samaria comes to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who is it who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, you see, they have this inner interchange, kind of a hostile interchange from the woman's perspective. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I might may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus starts to seal the deal. Jesus said to her, OK, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And here it is. The word of knowledge. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you have now have now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. Verse nineteen, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Well, yeah. This was information, and by the way, she runs off and, and tells her friends, says, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. This was information that Jesus obtained supernaturally. Jesus didn't Google her name and find out what was beside it. The only way that Jesus could know this was supernaturally. Jesus read her mail, so to speak, and it blew her away. Again, she runs and she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, let me ask you, did that prophet Jesus? I mean, was Jesus just looking for his name to get out? No, it profited the woman. She got converted. She got saved. She goes immediately starts preaching. Let's, let's look at an, another example of the word of knowledge. Just in case you're, you're wondering, of course, Jesus is the son of God. But is the word of knowledge only available to the son of God? No. Uh, look with me at Acts chapter 5. That one's an easy turn. Acts chapter 5, we're going to see Peter. Actually, you know what? You don't have to turn there because you probably know it. Um, but you can if you want. The story of Ananias and Sapphira, right? They come in, they see uh, that people are getting attention for uh, selling their, their property, and they come up and they're like, oh, well, here's the, here's the money we got in the property, and 
Peter's like, is this all of it? Uh, uh, well, yeah, sure it is. And Peter says, word of knowledge. You have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. And the people are at the, the door there who are going to be taking your body out. Wife comes in, goes through the same thing. How did Peter know that? He didn't go to the property appraisal site, website, and say, now it says here, no. He just knew from being told by God inside information. Now, did that profit Peter? No. Didn't really profit Ananias and Sapphira either. But it profited the church. Here were wolves in sheep's clothing. And they were well dispensed with. And it profited the church, this word of knowledge. So, okay, we see that Jesus shows the, the word of knowledge. We've seen it with Peter. It's actually quite a bit. You'll see it uh, when, you, when we went through Acts. You would see it also with Paul. The question is now, does it still happen today? Well, I would say without a doubt, it still happens. Um, not too many years ago in the span of history, how many people know the name Charles Spurgeon? Very, very well-respected teacher. Not somebody that, when I read his writings, would necessarily think, well, there's a charismatic crazy. <laughs> you know, a very, very sound teacher. There's, I found three instances uh, of things that happened with Spurgeon. Here's one. At a Monday evening prayer meeting, Charles Spurgeon suddenly interrupted his sermon. He pointed in a certain direction. Now, this is a huge uh, group of people. And said, young man, those gloves you are wearing have not been paid for. You have stolen them from your employer. After the meeting, a young man came to the vestry and begged to see Spurgeon. Pale and trembling, the young man confessed that he had stolen the gloves he was wearing. He promised never to steal again and begged Spurgeon not to expose him to his employer. Here's another one. When Charles Spurgeon was a pastor at New Park Street in London... God used his words to bring about amazing changes in the lives of people. A man who was on his way to get some gin saw the crowd at the church door and pushed his way in to see what was going on. At that moment, Spurgeon turned and faced the man and said that there was a man in the gallery who had a gin bottle in his pocket and had come with no good motive. The startled man listened to the rest of the message and was converted. One more. One evening, a prostitute on her way, back, on her way to Blackfriars Bridge to commit suicide stopped at the church, hoping to hear some word that would prepare her to meet her maker. Spurgeon was preaching from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50, the story of the prostitute who wiped Jesus' feet with her tears. His text was verse 44, Seest thou this woman? As Spurgeon preached, the woman saw herself, but also saw the grace of God and trusted Christ. I believe with all my heart that words of knowledge still happen today. I pray for words of knowledge to happen in teaching, especially in my teaching. Once again, the Holy Spirit is always present. He is present right now. But I pray that he would make himself manifest. And I believe he does. When the point of a message, when, when one particular point, as we're going through on Sunday or Thursday, when one particular point speaks to you how many people have had that happen where all of a sudden you're like what did you just follow me around all week when that happens what is that 
That's the word of knowledge. That's God making himself manifest in the church, making himself manifest in your life by bringing out something that you thought was hidden. It still might be hidden to me as far as I can't, I won't say I understand that this affects you exactly, but it's not hidden to you anymore. It's like, I guess God really is paying attention. And I, this is where I want to make a point that I hope will help some folks that might be scared of the gifts of the Spirit. Many of the gifts, I believe, they can flow so naturally that we forget that they're supernatural. Because, think about it, the Holy Spirit is graceful. He's gracious. He's polite. Because of that, there will be very few times when he will stop a service and point at someone and say, you are in an adulterous affair and it's killing your marriage. It's not going to happen very often because he is a gentleman. But he will speak. I believe he does speak through words that are in, in the Bible and that are taught by men. Romans chapter 2, verse 16 tells us that God knows the secrets of men. But here's what I want to make sure that you understand. This gift, the word of knowledge, is not only for the pastor. Think about this. What kind of a gift is it if only one of your five kids gets to use the gift? And only once or twice a week. How many of you fathers would say, okay kids, I want you all to sit around and watch Billy use the gift I bought for you guys. And Billy, you can only use it once or twice a week. What kind of a gift would that be? The Lord is looking to give good gifts to all of his children. So here's your first application if you're looking for one tonight. First, you've got to determine that you're going to use any gift that he gives you, not for your own sake, but for the profit of all. Number two, commit to using it for the body and not neglecting it. And number three, ask because the Father knows how to give good gifts to His children. And then, here's another idea. Put yourself in the position to actually use the gift. For instance, I do believe that the Lord uses the word of knowledge through the teaching, hopefully, at least once every message. And the reason that it happens is because I put myself in a spot where, okay, something better happened. Somebody needs to hear something. What I'm getting at is if you put yourself in a position where you need the gift, you know what? Chances are you're going to get the gift. So if you want a word of knowledge, commit to witness. Say, Lord, open my eyes to opportunities. Open my ears to hear the hurting. Open my mouth, Lord. And when you do, give me the words that I need. Look at verse 8. Again, it says, for to one is given the word of wisdom. We've been talking about the word of knowledge. What's the word of wisdom? Well, again, knowledge is information. Wisdom is information in action. So if the word of knowledge is supernatural knowledge, knowledge that could only be obtained supernaturally, then wisdom is wisdom that could only be obtained supernaturally. You can learn natural wisdom through your own mistakes, even better if it's through mis the mistakes of others. But this word of wisdom comes supernaturally, and it addresses specific crises, specific problems, a particular situation. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. We probably have the quintessential example in 1 Kings chapter 3. 
Now, you know, when we're talking about gifts of the Spirit, nobody's under the impression that the Spirit just came into existence in the New Testament, right? You know that the Spirit poured out upon men in the Old Testament as well. 1 Kings chapter 3, look with me at verse 16. Familiar story? Solomon has been blessed with wisdom. 1 Kings three sixteen. Now two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth. And we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, no, but the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, no, but the dead one is your son and the living one is my son. Then they spoke before the king. Thus they spoke before the king. Very heated situation. Verse 23, and the king said, the one says, this is my son who lives and your son is the dead one. And the other one says, no, but your son is the dead one and my son is the living one. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two. Give half to one. And half to the other. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, O my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king. For they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. See, it was a specific crisis situation where only supernatural wisdom could prevail. When you think about it, that's a radical thing for, for a king to say, okay, I've got the situation. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just cut the baby in half. That's not something that you would say, that you would think to yourself, Okay, this will this will draw that person out. This was incredible wisdom from God. Turn with me to Matthew 22. It's not just Solomon. By the way, we'll come back to this, but how do you think Solomon got that wise? He asked. Yep. Matthew 22. Jesus. There's all sorts of examples of this, but here's one. Jesus and the tech, the question of the tax collecting. Look at verse 15, Matthew 22:15. Then the Pharisees went. By the way, this whole chapter is pretty much about word of, word of knowledge, people trying to trip Jesus up in wisdom. Uh, Matthew 22:15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true, true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. In other words, you're no respecter of persons. Verse 17, tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And you guys know what they were doing. If Jesus says, yes, you need to pay taxes to Caesar, all the Jews rebel against him. If he says, no, you don't need to pay taxes to Caesar, all of Rome will call him uh, a traitor. So, verse 18, But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, 
Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Once again, wisdom that no one else could have known, right? This is, this is not something that, that somebody just thinks of and says, oh, this will, this will stop them. These guys, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they spent all of their days spending. They grew up working with word, word problems, word troubles, those kind of things. They were in the hotbed of intellectualism. And worse yet, they were devious at it. They, they had spent hours and hours, maybe weeks, trying to craft the perfect trap for Jesus, and he unravels it like that. It's a word of wisdom. Now, is it just for Solomon and Jesus? Turn with me to Acts 15. This is, for me, the, the example that comes right to mind, talking about a word of wisdom, where, where the Lord will get you out of a situation or will help you, help dissolve, a, uh, diffuse a situation within a church. Acts chapter 15, if you were with us, you remember, this was the question of circumcision. And all of the, uh, a, a group of guys came from Jerusalem. Rep, they said they were representing Jerusalem, the church. They came into the church where Paul was in Antioch. And they said, look, unless you guys are circumcised, you're, you can't be Christians. They create this turmoil in Antioch. Paul says, all right, fine, we're going to go settle this. And they go down to Jerusalem. In Acts 15, they have this first conference, this first uh, decision-making body where they're like, what are we going to do with this? And when we heard the message, it was called circumschism because there was definitely going to be a a cut. There was going to be a break in the church if something wasn't done. Look with me at Acts 15, verse 22. There are people passionate on both sides. Yes, uh, you have to be circumcised to be saved, and others that would say no. Look at verse uh, 22. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them. And we're going to see the letter that they wrote. Before this letter was written, James stood up and said, I have an idea. What if we just write a letter that says, these are the things that we require and don't worry about circumcision? Look at verse 24. Here's the, the body of the letter. So, but first we need to know the whole church agreed on, on sending this letter. Now look at verse 24. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with these words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord. To send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Look at verse 30. So when they were sent off, they came back to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. Verse 31, when they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. You understand that the situation had started in Antioch with the church split. 
about ready to explode. Paul goes, confronts it. They have this huge convention that could have been the worst thing ever, that could have been the church split right then. Some people spoke. Peter spoke. James finally said, here's what we're going to do. I feel like the, the Holy Spirit is saying, let's do this. And everybody instantly went, that's a great idea. Let's do that. And they said, let's write a letter. They wrote the letter. They sent it back to Antioch, the place where the, the problem began, the place where these guys would be freaking out, saying, what are they, they going to excommunicate us? They get the letter, and everybody in Antioch says, that's a great idea. This is good. They rejoiced over the encouragement. So let me ask you, tonight, today, 2007, is the word of wisdom still in operation? If not, we are in so much trouble. We are in so much trouble. Every church, our church included, there will be moments of crisis. There will be moments when we need not just man's wisdom, we need supernatural wisdom. In my opinion, some of you in this church have already seen one. How many people were here when we had the blow-up with the, with, when I had to ask the lady with the baby to leave. Not a fun time. This was not a fun time. Um, there was a situation where I had to ask a mother to leave with her little one because that, that little one was, was causing a disruption and the teaching could not go on. No one was listening to the word of God being spoken. Not a comfortable situation. Nothing that I wanted to deal with. Nobody wanted to deal with it. We could have been so much better prepared. We could have handled it so much better, so much differently. We could have done so many things differently. We learned a lot of wisdom that day by the mistakes we had made. I learned a lot of wisdom by my own mistakes. We could have made it so much easier for that family... We could have made it less embarrassing for everyone. In so many ways, we learned wisdom the most painful way, the dumbest way, by making our own mistakes. But let me tell you, in my opinion, not only was, our, was my unpreparedness exposed, but the Lord's faithfulness was exposed because I believe on that day, the Lord gave me a word of wisdom. A word of wisdom was operating in that day. When it was all happening, I had the very strong sense that we needed to talk about it as a church right away before anybody left and at least make it available that if people wanted to talk about it, they could. Now, and I told one of the men of the church that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to call an impromptu meeting. This man is a very wise man. I would take his counsel 99% of the time. He said, don't do it. Don't do it. That's a really dumb move. You're just going to make it worse. People are, please don't do this because you're going to bring focus upon it. Again, this was a very smart person, but I, I had a really strong feeling that now I, looking back, know it was from the Lord, that if I don't do this, it will be a terrible mistake. And the, the church will just blow up. There'll be people who, who will never see again. Now, in my opinion, that was a word of wisdom, and it was from the Lord saying, deal with this now. Don't wait a week. Don't wait a day. Don't wait an hour. Deal with this now. 
And I'm convinced in my spirit, in my heart, that we not only learn from our mistakes, but we also, I also learned, God is there. Even when you blow it, he can make it into something good. And our church pulled together at that moment, and we've learned a lot of things since, but we've also learned a lot of things in the trenches. So, here's my question for you. How do you get a word of wisdom? Well, how did Solomon get it? He asked for it. Remember, back in 1 Kings 3, you don't have to turn there, but right about 15 verses before we saw the section we saw, Solomon received it because the Spirit came to him and said, what do you want? You want riches, fame, wisdom, you name it. Solomon said, I want wisdom. James says, does any of you lack wisdom? Let him ask of God. He gives liberally without reproach. Maybe the word of knowledge for you tonight in your circumstance Maybe you really need wisdom. I don't know if it's finances. I don't know if it's the relationship that you're in or whatever it is. Maybe what you need tonight is wisdom. James says, ask. If you'll ask, your father will give it to you liberally and without reproach. Now that applies naturally, but it also can apply supernaturally. But here's the difference. Word of wisdom usually this word of wisdom that's a supernatural gift pretty much only comes when it's needed. Right? So you can ask, and we should. We should ask tonight for the Lord to give us words of wisdom. But you know what? For that to, to be employed, to actually come to bear, requires that we be acting. We actually be doing things. If you want a word of knowledge, if you want a word of wisdom, if you want a supernatural gift, you need to be doing something that will require it. Right? Serve. Solomon was serving. He was serving as a judge when this this was given to him. Paul was in prison because he was serving the Lord. James was serving as the leader of the church when he got words of wisdom. Jesus was on the ultimate mission trip when he gave his words of wisdom, his words of knowledge. Jesus was in Samaria. Think about how far out of... We talk about being out of our comfort zone. Jesus left heaven, came to earth. Okay, that's out of your comfort zone. Came to the Middle East, which at that point wasn't as bad as it is now, but still out of your comfort zone. Goes into Samaria. No good Jew would go into Samaria. Jesus, if, if you understand what I'm saying, was out of the comfort zone. I believe the, the Father wants to bless our body of believers through you. He wants to bless me through you. You. He wants to bless you through me. We saw it on Sunday. We are the body. And every person, every member, every finger, whatever you are in the body, you have a function. And I, again, this is how I'm going to close because it means the most to me. When you figure it out, when you figure out the gifts that he's given you and where you fit in, and you're functioning, you're actually doing what you were made to do, There's nothing like it. Absolutely nothing. That's my prayer for you and for me.